Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Underpowered Hour on this week's show, live from Destination Defender, it's Ike and I's panel with Mr. Land Rover, Mike Bishop, and Lauren Wolf, owner of First Off the Line 97 NAS Defender 90. And now, without further delay, here's the show. Welcome to the Underpowered Hour. I'm Steve Barris, mild-mannered television executive by day and Land Rover collector by night. You can find out more about our cars and what we're working on at thebarriscollection.com or follow us on Instagram at thebarriscollection. I'm joined, as always, by my good friend, Ike Goss. Thank you to everyone joining us today. I'm the tropical roof vent to Stephen's HEPA-filtered air intake. I'm the hollow whistle of podcasting, Ike Goss. I own and operate Pangolin 4x4 in Springfield, Oregon, where we live and breathe Land Rovers. Check us out online on Facebook, Instagram at Pangolin 4x4. Let's get started. All right, Ike. Well, we are uh, we're back from Destination Defender uh, and from our uh, our other Land Rovering trips over the last uh, week or so, but we brought something back with us, and this time it's not an STD. It is uh, a Destination Defender panel. We were lucky enough to have uh, Lauren Wolf, who owns the first off the line 1997 Defender, uh, which was uh, became the NAS, many call it Diamond Edition car that was uh, that was actually created for the head of BMW at the time, but was was not accepted. And uh, so you'll hear more about that in the panel. And we were also joined on that panel by none other than Mr. Land Rover himself, the Michael Bishop. Michael Bishop, fresh in from the UK, joining us for the uh, Destination Defender panel. We were uh, kindly asked to be there for Land Rover during Destination Defender and uh, chat with Lauren Wolf, a former engineer at Land Rover in the UK. And she was lucky enough to find this uh, special car in the Land Rover Engineering Depot. Yeah. Uh, which she refers to as the junkyard. Yeah, the junkyard, so, yeah. Uh, you can hear all about that and uh, our other questions and discussions about the head of BMW and mm-hmm. his use of the car mm-hmm. and so forth. It's kind yeah. of interesting. A yeah. little uh, tidbit of Land Rover history. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we'll uh, dial that up because it's a long one and we want you to enjoy it. So uh, here we go. We'll thread up the microfiche and enjoy it. All right. Let's go. What a fantastic uh, deal. Hey, this is a pretty neat... Uh, it was a pretty neat venue, and uh, Land Rover Jaguar, Land Rover's done an incredible uh, job of getting all these little bits out here and uh, all these uh, free-range defenders just roaming in their in their native habitat. It's nice to it's nice to see that. So, um, as uh, Jeffrey mentioned, uh, Ike and I uh, are responsible for the world's second most popular Land Rover podcast, uh, the Underpowered Hour. And uh, we bring that to you uh, every Monday morning. Uh, come rain or shine, whether you like it or not, uh, there'll be a new uh, podcast there. So, uh, yeah, you're all uh, 
you're all part of the shared podcast experience today. Uh, so if you would yes. do, yeah, it would sign the favorite, right? Yeah, that's great. Plan on monetizing this audience. So today we're here to chat about something uh, very unique, very special to not just North America, but to Defender uh, specifically. If we all remember back to a bygone day when uh, the Defender was uh, slightly boxier and uh, a hell of a lot slower, um, Land Rover did a special run of what in some places is called the 50th anniversary for the 50th anniversary of Land Rover and some places is called the Diamond Edition. But before they did that, they built a prototype and that is, uh, or a pre-production car, and that is what we're here to talk about today. So I thought uh, maybe what would be better, because certainly it is impossible to describe these uh, individuals. Uh, Ike excluded, Ike's very, very easy to describe. But um, but I thought maybe, Mike, uh, you could introduce yourself, and Mike, could you introduce yourself as well, and uh, sort of tell us a little bit about your Land Rover uh, pedigree, uh, the, the, the least impeachable, uh, you know, the incredible, incredible pedigree. Where do I start? So, um, yeah, I worked for Land Rover Classic in the UK. I'm the Mr. Land Rover, Land Rover specialist, who basically what I do is I entertain people with stories about the vehicles. And from that, they can choose what they want to do, whether they buy a classic Land Rover or they come off road with, roading with me, or we just enjoy researching about some obscure part of the history. And that's basically, you know, what I do day in, day out as, as, as a job and also as a hobby really, don't I? So, um, there's, uh, people, people always say that, um, yeah, there's, you know, everything, but I'd have to say you never really stop learning about Land Rover. There's never, always something new. Never say never when it comes to Land You know, no, there's a, there's another rabbit hole somewhere to find uh, more information about something. And, and uh, that's what's happening today. This is uh, definitely a little corner of Land Rover history that I wasn't familiar with. So I'm, I'm excited to hear more about it. Absolutely. And uh, back in the day at Sully Hull, it was, it's, it was a, I mean, right up to the end of Old Defender, it was a very, very interesting place. I mean, the, you know, as a, as, a, as a culture, it was still very much a World War II factory where generally the answer was, yeah, yeah we can do that. Even it was the most outrageous thing, like you went off-roading in an LRE truck and you happen to bend the front fender and you go to production manufacturing and say, you've got a white front fender. And they'll be like, yeah, we've got one of them spare and you just go and get it bolted on. So what are your recollections of uh, Sully Hole? So when I walked into the factory at, at Sully Hole, I was uh, floored by the difference. Which I don't think it kills Mike's. Dead Mike, not me. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just gave me a dry run. Hey. Yeah. yeah. And maybe uh, introduce yourself as well. Sure. So uh, Lauren Cassidy Wolf, uh, I grew up an enthusiast of cars that came from my dad. I grew up in a rural town in Connecticut, and uh, my dad was big into cars. And uh, so I just grew up with that, you know, sort of mechanical inclination, hands-on. You fix your own cars. Uh, you're not willing, you know, willing to get dirty. Um, and I was a first-generation college kid studied engineering in Virginia, and then forged a path into the auto industry from there. Uh, and I found myself at Ford Motor Company in their engineering program and had this very unique opportunity uh, to spend a year at Land Rover UK. And so uh, I, I went over there and I spent about a third of the year in each of their locations. Yeah. So Solihull, Gaydon, and Warwick. 
and did engineering manufacturing in a sales rotation. So the first, very first uh, assignment I had was test engineering. So I was outfitting, uh, you know, the Land Rover vehicles uh, that were pre-production and in and future production, as well as the competitive set uh, for testing. And a lot of times they were breaking. So I spent a lot of times in the scrapyard uh, getting spare axles and things. So we were really pushing these vehicles to their absolute limits. Uh, and it was fascinating. So uh, that's, that's my story. So Very uh, cool. That's really yeah. awesome. And so we're here today, for those of you who can't see the screen, I don't know, maybe that's just Bob. Oh, it's like Bob and Aronson. There's like a cut right across. I can see by the Oh, there's a hat. That's what it is. You got a, you got a, you got a big uh, Texas Fox seal there. So yeah, that's right. <laughs> okay, oh boy. Uh, speaking, speaking of which, so uh, part of this story, and I think it's a, this is my favorite part of this story. Um, for those of you who don't know, of course, BMW owned uh, a Land Rover uh, for uh, a little while. And uh, f famously, the uh, the head of, uh, of BMW uh, group, or I'm sorry, the uh, head of Jaguar Land Rover group on behalf of uh, BMW. Oh, here, we got to come. Yeah. Oh, okay. We're going to sort it out. Juggling mine. Stop. Keep it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Anyway, so surprisingly, uh, as a young man, uh, both Jeffrey Hooden, I think he looks a little bit like Errol Flynn. Yeah. He's got a real, I agree with that. I think he might be Errol Flynn. I think that's anyways. So, uh, sort of a, a fun story, I guess, is that, uh, you know, they took this defender vehicle out and thinking that, 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 that you know, the BMW guys would really dig it. And, uh, no, no, not so much, not so much. And that's sort of what brings us to where we are now. Yes. That's sort of where. So talk to me, Lauren, a little bit about where did you sort of first happen upon this car, this 50th anniversary prototype? What year was it and where in the world did you find it? Sure. So I think it was 2001. Uh, I was on assignment there, uh, 2000, 2001 timeframe. And as I mentioned, my first assignment was in test engineering. So I spent a lot of time getting to know the scrapyard, uh, which is really the engineering yard. Right, where where all the test vehicles end up, but certainly used for parts. Uh, so I was cruising through, looking for you know whatever it was at the time we needed, and I saw this you know absolutely beautiful you know Defender ninety, and I knew it was a North American spec, right? Um, and uh, and it was like a dream car for me, you know. When I and I was young, I, I think I was twenty two at the time, twenty three maybe. And um, and essentially asked about the car, and they were like, ah, oh, you know, and they told the story about Reitzler, and, yep. you know, it was actually made for him, thinking, you know, that, that they would appreciate, you know, seeing this car for the 50th anniversary upcoming of Land Rover. And, and so it was, it was actually the, it was a, it's a pre-production car, but it has a production VIN. Mm -hmm. um, and so it is not numbered, as you can see, um, there, it's labeled first off because it's actually pre-zero or pre-one, pre-number one. Um, it's the only Epson Green NAS 90 that they made in that in that year in 97. And it was sent you know, to... Is that Wolfgang's favorite color? Is that one of the... Uh, <laughs> I don't know. They weren't with uh, I think, Reisler Green? Yeah, I mean, I can only guess that, you know, it was the either the product marketing team or whoever was in charge that was there, they thought it would be the most sort of special color for this one-off run um, right yeah. yeah 
Yeah. Well, and you notice, I, I think as well, something that's kind of interesting for those of you who can see the screen, you know, it's got these little uh, bumperlets, which not every one of them had. And I feel like that's an homage to the uh, right sort of mustache. I feel like tiny, <laughs> tiny little, little girl plates there. Uh, <laughs> sort of is, uh, you could tell the car was, observation. it was built specifically for him. I mean, you could tell, I think it really does. It's sort of, they have the same look on their face actually. In both and I see yeah. what you're saying. Yeah, you know what I mean, right? I like it. I like it. It's a sternness. Anyways, left it to be said that uh, that uh, Wolfgang didn't love didn't love the car. It also still has the the BMW cell or not cell phone, but wired phone in it. Um, oh yeah, look at that. I was look at that guy right there. For... Does this work anymore? Can you make phone calls on that? In Germany, it might. Oh, that's worth a test. Yeah. So, now, you have some recollections or some knowledge of this vehicle, right, and its history a little bit, Michael? Yes, I I, um, I do. So uh, when I went to join the factory and uh, start doing guest experiences and taking people around to see their cars being built on production lines and bits and pieces, I uh, worked with a lot of retired engineers. Yeah. Um, and one of, one of those engineers, a guy, Graham Silvers, who you may remember, he was around in that era. He looked after... P38 Range Rover from an every, everyday point of view um, engineering. Which, if I'm not mistaken, was Reitzler's favorite Range Rover. Yeah. Indeed. <laughs> and so he had a very interesting <laughs> relationship. He, uh, I spoke to him the other day about this. Yeah, I yeah. called because I said, I said yeah. yeah, what? tell me the story again. So yeah. so, so what, what basically happened is um, when, when BMW management came into Solihull and Longbridge to the Silver <laughs> Rover Group there, and they were sort of expecting... So something similar to their own manufacturing facilities. Right. Completely forgetting that there'd been the whole 70s British Leyland era and of which it stifled investment in the buildings and um, production lines and everything. And obviously it had classic Range Rover and Series 3 and what became Defender going on for years. Yeah. So they looked at that and were like, wow, this is, you know, this is ancient. And yeah, yeah the glass roof at Sully Hole, it leaked like a sieve and all, of, all those kind of things. Well, then they said, in the Defender line, they were still rolling around on railroad tracks. Right to the end, right to the end. And uh, so, yeah, they, they, they saw all that and thought, this is archaic. But they saw these going around. It might have yeah. been the one pen. It might have been who knows what it was. Right. But they're like, they're cool. <laughs> Can we have some of them? And they're like, no, no, they're the, they're the NAS vehicles. Yeah, they're for yeah, North America. Yeah. You can't. And they're sort of like, well, we're the bosses now. We want some. And yeah, they started making Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Yeah, yeah. Management. No, I have a quick personal question, which is like, how much do you feel like the NAS Defender changed, you know, people's perception of the Defender in general? Like, I feel like, like, at least when I was growing up, that was the epitome, the top of the line. You know, that's what everybody wanted in the UK. Could we couldn't have it often. You know, it's a V8 car. It has alloy wheels. It has some more exciting colors than maybe what you would get in some other markets. Well, green. Right, right. The green. I like that. I like that color. Well, I'll, I'll tell Mr. Silvers yeah. about that. <laughs> yeah, right. So, um, anyway, yeah, yeah. So the, the vehicle's also actually related to another one, the SV90. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. So if you go back, the SV90 came about on the back of an idea called the Land Rover Kariba, which was a, a soft top concept vehicle from the 1980s. Yeah. And this for Caribbean market? Yeah. Yeah. Sort of that, it was that kind of vibe. Uh -huh. V8, very big, sort of wide steel wheels. Obviously, uh, yeah. The main customer at that point in time was still the British military. Mm -hmm. So it didn't really go sort of go down terribly well then, the idea of doing a lifestyle defender. 
<laughs> until the 1990s when yeah things sort of started to change a little bit and they built a one and a half million defender with yeah. brian adams coming down the production line in the back of it oh yeah was yeah, he yeah. playing a song no, there's a really cheesy photo of him with some yeah. guys who are looking at him really starry-eyed. Around yeah. yeah. about the time Prince of Thieves came out, right? Indefinitely, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He had a uh, he had a, a TD5 Defender in Canada, which mm. he shouldn't have. I don't know how, you know? Like, the rich just keep getting richer. It's, uh, it's too bad. Too bad. Brian Adams, he's a natural hero, though. He is we indeed. Yeah, we love yeah. Never say never. Yeah, right. Dude, we'll talk after. So anyway, yeah. Yeah, back to that. Back to that um, <laughs> thing. So yeah, you've got the vehicle that did drive it. you got the SV. You've got the you know, the NAS defenders and you've got the 50th anniversary. And they're all sort of one and the same, obviously, apart from the drivetrain on the night. Yeah, the V8, the roll cage. Yeah. I mean, that yeah. really, for a lot of people, at least mm. for, for teenage I Gus, that was, that's, yeah. what I, that's what everybody wanted. That's, yeah, yeah. That's the yeah. poster. A lot of boys had different things in their rooms, but not Ike. That's true. That's uh, the NAS yeah. beat. That's there. true. Definitely well, a vehicle yeah. that was missed sure. in Australia as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm Australian originally. And uh, yeah, seeing those available. And not being able to get hold of them, race was quite frustrating. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and apparently also appealing to to Lauren when she saw it in the scrapyard. So tell us a little bit about the process. Of, like from take us from when you saw it in the the yard and you fell in love with it to the time it was you know here in the United States and you're you know loving your your dream car and you still have it. So it was definitely your dream car, right? Yeah, I do have it, and I'm the first original owner, first and only, right? Of the fleet uh, department at Land Rover. So. Yeah, I saw it in the scrapyard, fell in love with it. Um, I had been off-roading back home as part of the early Bronco project at Ford Motor Company and so really got into the sport and wanted to, um, you know, sort of have an icon like this. You know, I was young um, and obviously working, uh, so I uh, I inquired with, with my new colleagues at Land Rover and they uh, helped me get through this very long process. It was a lot because... Um, you know, as we're trying to sort of get the story together, they were doing the same thing at that time because it was in 2000, 2001, and that vehicle had been sitting for a number of years. Right. And so to, to kind of pull that story back together and, you know, they had to invalidate that the VIN was officially NAS. They actually had to reverse some of the European changes that had been made to the, to the mm. model and, uh, and get it ready for importation uh, for me. Uh, to make it through customs and, and everything else. So, you know, unfortunately, I lost the winch and, you know, and, and a few other things. But um... yeah, it's interesting that you say the uh, the winch specifically, because uh, we noticed in the paperwork here, uh, for those that you can see, it does say, uh, you know, to remove the uh, the winch bumper yeah. uh, and the and the winch and keep for me, which I guess whoever was taking this car apart, uh, yeah. I guess that's where that winch is. That that guy's got it. Whoever Absolutely. whoever this guy is. So, yeah, yeah. I mean Tony yeah. Monk. Did you know Tony? I know Tony Monk yeah, very well. So, there you go. So yeah. Tony's got your so winch. Such a great character. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, there there I mean, recently retired. Yes. Yeah. 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 yeah so, so maybe have a chance of getting that winch back from Tony. And, and, and he, now, correct me if I'm wrong. You describe Tony as as sort of an artifact of the factory, much in the same way that these production lines were read. Yeah, he's, he's got that era, like Roger Craythorn and Cram Silvers and Rod Gill yeah. and Malcolm, yeah. have you met? Yeah, all yeah. of those guys, they're of the same ilk. And if there was an opportunity with, a, you know, buying a vehicle or getting a part or do that, yes, that's just the way way it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It was a different time. This certainly yeah, they called it Tad, you know, yeah. like, yeah. Not, you know, going, oh, go and get that piece of junk or a piece of, yeah, they right. called it in British Tad. Yeah, Tad, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, in that, you know, car became... 
what was, you know, the 1997 uh, Diamond Edition or 50th Anniversary uh, Edition car. Now, they did change it from Rice Green to uh, what is like what Willow Green. Willow Green, yeah. Willow's like a gray-green color, really nice uh, color, but they kept the checker plating. But, uh, you know, you'll notice that uh, they don't, they got rid of the Reisler, uh mustache uh, plates. So, uh, you know, that is another, yet another unique thing to the pre-production uh, vehicle is the uh, little mustache plate. Uh, this car was like built to be sort of the pinnacle of uh, North American yeah. spec defenders at the time. You know, uh, this was the last edition, the final edition of North American spec defenders. It was the... Uh, this station wagon, it had the safety devices, roll cage, it yeah. had the diamond plate. It was it was frequently called the diamond edition uh, because of that plating, but it was sort of the, the top spec that you could get. And I can remember going to the dealership and seeing that, and that's the one that everybody yeah, wanted. Warrant. It has air conditioning stock from the factory. Air conditioning, automatic transmission. Yeah. The uh, factory's already put uh, checker plating over all the places that... Uh, Really bad galvanic corrosion from the fasteners, so that's nice. It's the most American British. It car. is the most American British car. Yeah, that's exactly V8, right. air V8 air conditioning, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it's got it's got it came it came with a uh, a twelve foot by twelve foot American flag. It had everything you needed. Everything you needed. So, so Lauren, uh, talk to us a little bit about um, your experience owning this vehicle. So you've got the car. Uh, how do you how did that it? process go to just oh, get the yeah. what what happened? Like, so this is a North American spec vehicle. So you didn't need a twenty five year rule exemption or any of that. You brought this in as as if it was a brand new car in nineteen ninety seven. Uh, so what was that process like? Yeah, once it was confirmed and validated, um, essentially. You know, we did a, an employee vehicle sale okay. because I was an employee of the company. Yeah. Uh, so I got it for, you know, sort of what they like to joke as a farm tractor price uh, nice. back then, uh, yeah. a fair price. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I definitely benefit, benefited yeah. from yeah. that. Uh, and then they shipped it over and with the fleet of new vehicles for me and it landed in Baltimore at the port. And uh, we had it shipped to Connecticut from there, which is where I, I mentioned I'm from. And, um, you know, my dad babysat it until I got home from my assignment. And what kind of condition was the car in when you when you got to it finally? It, it's with you in Connecticut. And is it pristine? Does it look like a brand yeah. new 97 yes. car? Yeah. Yeah, it was it was nearly brand new at the time. But now, obviously, 20 something years later, right. you know, you do see the bubbling and some of the corrosion coming through the paint. Um, and we've had to, you know, replace you know, bolts and do kits and things yep. to just try to keep it, you know. I noticed in the in the notes uh, with the history of the vehicle that they did quite a bit of preparation for you to yep. obtain it. You know, they replaced the transfer case, which I said was stored in the back of the vehicle, the, the exhaust, you know, a number of things. That's often where you find a letter was transfer case. It's stored <laughs> in the... The back of it, we'll get to it. It's going to, you know, it's on my list. So they, they really did quite a bit of uh, maintenance. I mean, this is t Tony Monk. It's yeah. just, uh, he's, he just, he, he and I, and he and most of the engineers had a, such a tight relationship. You know, I felt like they just welcomed me and included me uh, in the, in their sort of club. And I think he did it because I earned their trust and they wanted to see this vehicle in the hands of someone who they knew would take care of it. Right. That's fantastic. You obviously have it's here for those of you who didn't realize it. It's here up on top of the uh, Mount uh, Mount 130 over there. 
Um, and uh, and yeah, you should definitely go check it out because it is a little, oh, just a little bit different than a NAS uh, car. If any of you have one or have seen one, uh, it's a little different. There's some little specialty bits on it, and uh, it's it's really neat. Like the dent in the hood. The dent in the hood is good. Yeah, that's a, is there a story behind that dent? I have no idea how that happened, and you, you can't imagine the amount of anger that I had when I saw it. Oh. And uh, there's no way to PDR it or. It's real hard. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. That's a, that's so a, a it, you know, you know what? in the door. What's that? Nothing. Never mind. I mean, last I checked, those little mustache plates were still there. I don't know what could have happened to them. So it's a very real collectible. So, yeah. So for those of you that haven't seen, there's a there's a really nice display up here on the hill to our left or my left here. Right. And uh, they've kind of got a progression of vehicles. Uh, they've got the the older 90 and 110. And then on the opposite side, they have a newer special edition. Uh, it's 90. Yeah, it's a 90, and then, yeah. And then, uh, and then a 130. And then the Rebel Rally 130. Rebel that's Rally 30. That's true. Rebel, Rebel Rally. Uh, make sure you come to that panel uh, this afternoon with the uh, Rebel Rally team, Daphne Green, and a number of folks from the SCAR, the Texas Club here. It's going to be great. I'm looking forward to it. For sure. All right. So um, on the uh, on the uh, sort of importation and stuff, that all came in. It was a new vehicle. And uh, and then you've set about sort of curating it for the last, like, is it 20 some odd years? So what's the plan with the car going forward? Do you have it willed to a family member? Or is it going to get donated to the Dunsbold collection? What's your what's your long term plan for the car? You and Mike going to take it out and just rip it around the off road course? We'll take it back. Classically. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Okay. There's an offer. Yeah. What, yeah. what are we looking at, Mike? How much? Let's say it was. So let's let's start at uh, three hundred thousand. What do you think? <laughs> Unfortunately, we can't um, sort of for an island. Oh, okay, all right. okay. Yeah, we would yeah, like an island one. Yeah, that would be that's one I want. But yeah, it's um, it's been in and out of storage for the last twenty years. I I drove it a lot. Uh, so it does have some miles on it now, but it's still low mile, considered to be a low mile vehicle. Um, I'm actually fortunate to have my son here, my nine-year-old Wesley, uh, in the audience. Wes actually drove the Defender here, which a lot of people don't know. But be, yeah, like, he, yeah, it's fine. Anything's legal. He in really Texas. wants to drive today, so if yeah. anyone is available to let him drive, that would be amazing. He actually sure. made his own driver's license. For you this can event. definitely <laughs> drive my red ass car. Yeah, <laughs> you can drive the rental car, no problem. I mean. No car more capable than one you printed. But uh, to, but to your question on what what's next, um, my husband is a mechanic and has a small business um, service shop. Uh, that's where convenient we, when you own a Defender. That's <laughs> good. Yeah, good to have that. And so I think it just runs in the family. We're just we're into cars and motorcycles and things that go nice. and and mechanical things. And and so I think Wesley's already showing signs of you know, and actually all three of our children are showing signs of mechanical abilities. So I think. I'd like to hang on to it long enough yeah. to see if our children will embrace and take care of it. Uh, but certainly for now, uh, we may be uh, relocating soon to warmer climates. Ah. If that happens, I will right. start driving it again. For Fantastic. Well, you're welcome in uh, in uh, California anytime. Plenty of desert, plenty of uh, hot, dry weather. So great place to keep uh, a Land Rover. Where I in Oregon. I understand that there's uh, treatments available for people who are showing signs of mechanical aptitude. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Yeah. And you want to get out of that right away. Like get a blind <laughs> weight or something uh, for that. That's no way to live. Uh, but I thought maybe because we have a, a minute or two here before we uh, wrap up, I think I'm saying that I have no idea. I'm looking at my watch and pull. Jeez. Uh, no, we're fine. I'm just kidding. 
Uh, if there's anyone that has questions, this is a live thing. Why, why not? Uh, normally, someone has to break into Ike's home to ask a question during the podcast, so, uh, which has happened in overtime. But um, yeah, does anybody have any questions uh, for the uh, panel? Uh, Jeff Harrison uh, from Rover's Magazine. Yes. Mike, a question for you and Lauren. Describe what it was like to actually walk through a process of creating the NAS diet. What were the imperatives from the U.S. market, U.S. subsidiary, to actually have a, a defender here when Charlie Hughes was leading that up? What was it that pushed you to bring the defender? And then what did you have to make it compliant for U.S. sales? I'll, uh, I'll just summarize for those who can't hear Jeff because he doesn't have a mic. The question was, uh, what did you guys have to do to the uh, NAS defender and uh, what was that journey uh, in developing and uh, and shepherding that vehicle to the U.S. market? Very important. Yeah, yeah. Everybody knows. Yes, perfect. Yeah. Well, I suppose um, from what I hear from from people who worked on the vehicle back in the day, obviously I was just a, a kid in Australia, you know, in uh, in those days when it came about that, uh, yeah. You had you had obviously Range Rover of North America in the nineteen eighties, and then obviously there was a, there was a, you know as Discovery or D one came um, Discovery one came out it um, it sort of created that sort of uh, you know the the way that the vehicles are positioned to now with sort of you know um, nameplates or you know brand and people realised they needed to introduce Defender and then that brought the opportunity of uh, of reintroducing, you know, the, the original Land Rover to the US. Obviously, from an engineering point of view, they needed to, you know, bring a vehicle which was, uh, which had, you know, uh, into today's, uh, you know, well, then's, uh, you know, little challenges. Yeah, the 90s were not a great time to bring a car into the No, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, they had special lighting, right? Rollover yeah, protection. Yeah, all of that. And um, the person you really need to answer is uh, the new director of Classic, a guy called... Barrett. Oh, yeah. He was a young engineer at the time and he came over here and did a lot of the Death Valley testing and all of that mm. thing. And he'll know it all back to front and side out. So, yeah, yeah, I think I should put you guys in touch. Or what about the research necessary? Yeah. What about one of the, from an engineering yeah. standpoint, I mean, what had to kind of change about that car? Mm. Uh, obviously, the Defender had been, is essentially a Series 3 um, that had been developed in the 1960s. What had happened to, to bring that to a North American market. Yeah, I wasn't around for the engineering aspect, but what I heard in the engineering department was all around safety and meeting the thresholds that were required for America, whether airbags or other safety features that just, you know, they were constantly challenged with because they're, the volume of the defenders were going into military um, uses. And so they didn't want to change, you know, they, they had to find a happy medium between being core and authentic to the military and, and the actual utility of the vehicle and then trying to meet some of these other factors for more of a, you know, commercial. A commercial car, yeah. I think the uh, in general uh, went through a very similar thing in trying to federalize the Humvee. Uh, it was uh, it was not a, an easy task, uh, I guess. But there, There's sticklers over there at the uh, National Highway Transportation Station. They sure are. They sure are. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyone else? Any other questions? Well, if you'd like to uh, have a recap of uh, this or just uh, generally speaking, 
uh, find out uh, all kinds of interesting bits of information every Monday uh, on the Underpowered Hour. Please feel free to scan the old QR code, tune on into the show. Uh, we have a YouTube channel as well, all kinds of contents up there. Our good friend Michael Bishop has been on there many times. Uh, and Lord, hopefully we'll have you on in the, uh, in the future. And uh, yeah, I'd like to thank everybody for coming today and remind everybody to observe Veterans Day. Absolutely. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's a big deal. Thank All right. You. Well, thank you for coming. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. <laughs> Wonderful. Oh, we're here. Uh, you enjoyed this, which is one of the many, many stories we've done. And again, welcome. First saw uh, uh, the Nello over there. Enjoy. Thank you, Mr. Wayne. All right. Well, what a fascinating conversation. It's neat. Those kind of like weird cars, like it's a one of one sort of thing. It was a, you know, it's it's not a unique vehicle. And then it was a, a NAS Defender, but all of the little, you know, pieces and bits and things that went into sort of the build for it and how it sort of ultimately ended up with Lauren is pretty interesting. Actually, I, I enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, the uh, little bit of history on how it was prepared and brought to the US and how it was kind of a mix of... Uh, U.S. and German market features yeah. make it a uh, unique little, uh, uh, you know, footnote in uh, North American Defender history. Kind of, kind of fascinating. Because they only made what three hundred of those ninety-seven cars, right? Is that is that right? The Diamond Edition one there is only like three hundred. Three hundred plus the ones that were uh, part of this uh, uh, allocation to BMW executives. Yeah. That's pretty funny. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, though those didn't come back. There was no, who knows? In Germany somewhere. None of those were apparently returned to Land no, Rover. They're floating around there somewhere. So uh, if you're, uh, for our German listeners, uh, maybe you can find one of those BMW Executive Defender 90s. It'd be pretty cool. Mm-hmm. That's a nice spec. I like the Diamond Edition car. You know, it's kind of got all the stuff that people normally do to their 90, to their NAS 90s. It's, it's put the checker plate on in all the areas that get galvanic corrosion. So it's good. Some might say it's the uh, the prototype for the the diamond plate on the new Defender. That's a good point. You're because right. that was kind of the I, I maybe the first factory edition that had diamond plating on the tops of the fenders. You're you know, right. certainly it was uh, used on other cars at other times, but in terms of an official Land Rover edition, that that might be the first. If we have a listener that knows otherwise, we'd like to hear yeah, from. Let you. us know. Yeah, because that's a good point. I mean, that's a there's nothing more iconic than checker plating on the wings of a Defender. So if that, yeah, that may have been the inception point for it. That's a big deal. Anyways, it was great hanging out with Lauren and it was super fun hanging out with uh, Mike Bishop, with, of course, Nick Dimbleby, uh, you know, everybody who's out there, Bob Steele, all of our friends from uh, Jaguar, uh, Land Rover, Jeffrey Ahuden and, uh, and the gang. Uh, Joe E, Joe S, all, all the Joes were there. You know, it was really, really a fun time. I had a great time with both Fitz and the Tantrums. Check out the um, the old YouTube video for this one because a lot of the stuff that we talk about is visual. We had a little presentation going there and uh, you can see some pictures of the car itself in the YouTube version of this show. So if you haven't headed over to the old Underpowered Hour YouTube, please do check it out. Like and subscribe and turn on the little bell to get notified when we upload new things. Not just the show, we also have YouTube-specific content. We've got some great stuff up there, I'm told, apparently. Truly. Maybe. No, it's, it's, uh, it's an excellent source of everything Land Rover. So mm-hmm. check it out immediately. 
Make sure it's a priority in your life. We hope to see you there soon. Until next time, keep it between the ditches and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Adios, Stephen. The Underpowered Hour is produced by Liza Barris, Ike Goss, and me, Steve Barris. Pavel Svartov composed and performed our theme music. Consider supporting the show on Patreon, and if you already do, thank you. Your support makes the show possible. For even more, check out our Instagram or Facebook.